talk about Christmas, you know, we began talking last week. Christmas captures our attention, it captures our heart, and it captures our imagination. Even for those of us uh, that focus on the true meaning of Christmas. But Christmas causes our imagination to run wild, right? How many people have a favorite Christmas movie that you love? Anybody? Let me see your hands. Yeah, I see hands everywhere. When you think about some of those secular Christmas movies, uh, our imagination has a lot to do with it, right? Uh, like one of those famous movies is all about uh, this big, mean, green guy who's trying to steal Christmas. You've got another one that I, I can't help it. It's one of my favorites. I preached an entire sermon series on it last year. But our imagination runs wild with this fully grown-up, adult man in a pair of red striped tights and a funny hat, uh, and everybody thinks that he was an elf that was raised at the North Pole, right? Uh, that's another one of those movies. One more, then I'll move on, but our imagination runs wild with a movie about a little boy who was left at home by himself through Christmas, and that his imagination ran wild, and he came up with all of these pranks and all of these traps uh, that kept him safe uh, from the burglars and, and those that wanted to harm him while his parents were away until they finally made it home. So our, the power of imagination is all in Christmas everywhere we look. And as a matter of fact, as we talked about, it's even in our own mind's creation or recreation of the first Christmas, that nativity scene that we talked about last week. We see traditionally in the nativity scene, we see Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in the middle. Then on one side, you've got the shepherds peering over into the crib. And on the other side, you've got wise men and they're kneeling and they're bringing, bearing gifts. And that's the way we picture it. But as we talked about last week, Luke describes it totally different. And we learned that actually the wise men weren't even there when the shepherds were at the manger because the wise men came to the house. And that's where we pick it up today in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, and then we'll read the message translation uh, before we pray and you're seated. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened up their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now reading from the message translation. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, indicating that the star had gone away for some time, but now it appeared again. And they seen the star, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. And it led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. Look at the person next to you and say, you're in the right place at the right time. Verse 11. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. And overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Is there anybody in the house this morning that's ever been overcame by Jesus? Amen. Overcome, they kneeled and they worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts. Gold, which we talked about last week, and I'll recap for us in a minute. Frankincense, which we're going to talk about today. And myrrh. As we look at Christmas and the gifts with meaning that were brought to Jesus. If you will, pray with me and for me before you're seated today. Father, thank you so much for your presence we felt here today. Thank you for the worship, the opportunity to give and sow into your kingdom. Thank you for your word. I pray for just the next few moments, Lord, you would anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you would speak to us today. Anoint these lips of clay to deliver your words, not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. 
Let us leave differently than we came because we've been in your presence and changed by your word. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, Ben. So they entered the house, we read in Luke. And they brought, these wise men brought gifts. And last week we began an examination of those gifts that were brought to Jesus. And we talked about gold. And the gift, this gift of gold was the gift that you would present to a king. And prophetically, the first wise man shows us that Jesus was more than a baby. He was a king or he was the king. And so the second wise man uh, kneels before this baby and he unwraps his gift. And his gift is frankincense. Now, we can easily understand, most of us, gold and the value of gold. But frankincense... You know, a lot of us, will, and even myrrh, a lot of us will be like, what is that? But, so when we talk about frankincense, if you actually look it up or Google it uh, on the internet, you'll find some things about it. And one of the things that it mentions is that it has a medicinal benefit to it. So it kind of makes you want to begin to think, did this wise man just like, I got to have something to take to Jesus, so I'm going to clean out the medicine cabinet, <laughs> take him what I've got to offer, Right? Or maybe was this wise man like some of you? Did he re-gift something that had been given to him? How many re-gifters? Come on, you're in church this morning. How many re-gifters do we have in the house? Yeah, look at that. So those of you all that have these people for family, watch out. Did he re-gift something? Or did he, how did he, why did he bring frankincense? We just don't understand this gift. But here's what we want to do today. We want to look at it and see if we can understand what it really is and the significance of it. And that's my prayer is that you'll get that today. Frankincense was an aromatic resin that comes from the Boswellia tree. Uh, The Boswellia tree is actually what we know as the balsam tree. And the balsam fir tree is a very popular tree that many people uh, put up at Christmas time. Uh, or, and that it's a very popular type tree that is made even in artificial uh, to be put up. But that's where frankincense actually came from, was from the balsam tree. And typically balsam trees just grow in Yemen, in Somalia, and in Ethiopia. And what happens is they take the sap from this balsam tree and they dry it out and then they burn it as incense and it's, it's thought to have several medicinal properties to it. So this first wise man makes a prophetic declaration re- regarding Jesus' kingship, right? Because he brings him gold. But this second wise man's gift causes Jesus' kingship to stand in contrast uh, with, to all the governmental structure that the Jews had ever known because frankincense was thought to be the gift that you would present to a priest, not a king. That's what frankincense was. It was a gift that you would present to a, king, to a priest because it was actually incense in the Old Testament. It was incense that was regularly used in the temple uh, according to the act of worship in the Old Testament setting. So this wise man breaks down decades of separation between what we know as king and as priest. And what he is doing with this gift that he's bringing to Jesus is he is prophetically declaring that not only would Jesus fill the role of king, but he would also fill the role of a priest. Now, many of us don't really understand in our movement what the role of a priest is because we don't have priests. Because 
we know if you know much about the Bible, you know that when Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary, when he hung his head and when he said it is finished, when he gave up the ghost and died, the Bible said that the veil in the temple, right, was rent from top to bottom, meaning that we don't have a need anymore for a priest. When that veil was rent, you and I have the ability to go in to the Holy of Holies. Is anybody glad about that this morning? But for decades, this role of priest and king were so separated. And if you'll remember, uh, if you know much about the story, Israel's first king, Saul, he tried to step over this dividing line of priest and king by making a sacrifice, and it ultimately cost him his throne because he could not be both. And so this gift of frankincense separates Jesus as different, as unique, and as special. Because I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus is king. I need a king in my life. I need his rule in my life. I need him to be reigning over this crazy universe we find ourselves living in. You and I need his authority over our life. I'm thankful that he's king. But I'm also so thankful this morning that he isn't just king. He's also our priest. Now... I'm going to try to explain this further, but Paul jumps on this idea when he talks in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I love to read the message translation because it's so easily understood. But Paul said, now that we know what we have, how many know sometimes you don't, you don't really appreciate what you have until it's gone, until you realize what you have? Here's what Paul's saying here. Now that we know and we understand what we have, Jesus, this great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. Is anybody glad about that this morning? He's been through weakness and through testing, and he's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. Is anybody glad this morning for Jesus, for mercy, and for help? Is anybody glad this morning? In other words, Jesus' kingship is very important. However, his role as priest is something that we cannot afford to take for granted. Why do we need a priest, Pastor? Why why does Jesus, how does he represent our priest? And why do we need a priest? Let me tell you what a priest does. Three things specifically I want to talk about today. First of all, the priest represents. The priest in the religious system of that day had two primary responsibilities. His first primary responsibility was to represent God to the people. That's what the priest did. He represented God to the people. They spoke to the people for God. Uh, they, They showed the people what God was like. So they represented God to the people. Secondly, they represented the people to God. See, the people could not approach God past a certain point. In the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies that we just talked about, there was a veil that was there. And unless you were the priest, if you went past that veil instantly, 
You were struck dead. Life was over. But thank God that he rent that veil. But back then, you could not go through that place. There was a separation there. You couldn't approach God past a certain point. And therefore, the people had to have a representative that could go for them, that could go beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. And so Jesus arrived on the scene in this world with two tasks as his divine mandate. See, he was fully God and he was fully man. He was equal parts of both. And why is that important? Because he, he can equally represent both sides. He knew what it was like to face everything that you and I face as men and women, as human beings. But he also knew what it was like to be God's very own representative of himself in this earth. In other words, he was able to mediate. He was the go-between. He brings us together. He is the, the gap standard, if you will. He is the bridge builder between us and between God. See, two parties at odds are in conflict with each other. Uh, here, us and God have been brought together by a priest that could represent both sides so faithfully. So it could be said by Jesus. Jesus told the disciples, we've been talking about this in my class on Wednesday nights. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He was God's representative, but he also was our representative of us and mankind to God. He's not out of touch with our reality. Or as another version states, he could feel our infirmities. He could represent our weakness, our failures, and our neediness to the Father. I don't know about you, but I'm needy. I need Jesus in my life. I need his kingship and his lordship. But I also need him as priest and mediator at times. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Paul told Timothy, he said, For there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So I'm thankful this morning that we have somebody who could show us God. Otherwise, he might have been misrepresented. As a matter of fact, in the church world as we know it today, he has been misrepresented many times. Let's just be real. He might would have been misunderstood or misplaced, but Jesus revealed and continues to reveal the goodness, the faithfulness, the mercy, and the love of God. And I'm so thankful that this priest could represent us to God. Because let's be honest, sometimes we too have been misrepresented. Sometimes the enemy of our soul tells lies about us. Anybody ever been lied on? It's not very fun. Sometimes the enemy of our soul tries to accuse us. He tries to drive a wedge between us and God or even us and other people. But Jesus represents us. And thank God, because Jesus represents us, we can hide behind his holiness. Is anybody glad about that this morning? Listen, let me burst some of y'all's Pentecostal bubbles this morning. 
This book says there is none righteous. No, not one. So for those that sometimes think they're so good and they do no wrong and they never get aggravated or they never lose their temper or they never throw a tantrum or they never have road rage. Uh-huh, I got some of you right there. Can I, just, can, I, can I just be real this morning? Can I be transparent? Is that okay? I see some heads nodding and some of y'all have scary looks on your faces right now. Y'all do realize that pastors are just people, right? If you didn't, Merry Christmas. Just people. And we had the same struggles, the same trouble, and we fight the same devils that you fight. Now, Sister Sue Woodruff calls it SOS, the spirit of slap. Anybody ever had the spirit of slap? And here's, here's the kicker. I said it at 8.45, so I have to say it at 11, because if I don't, people from 8.45 will talk about it, and then y'all be like, why didn't he say that to us? So I actually said to my wife this week about something, and don't worry, it was none of y'all. And it was even a removed situation, had nothing to do with here. But I said to her this week, I think if they were right here, I'd punch them in the face. And some of y'all go, that's horrible. Now, don't go home and say, you know what my preacher said today? <laughs> I don't get the spirit of slap because I'm a man. I get the spirit of punch. Amen. <laughs> Thank God they weren't in my face, right? Why did you tell us that, Pastor? Because the same devil that fights you and wants you to lose your temper sometimes is the same devil that fights me. It's just... It's just a lot worse on me if I do it than it is if some of y'all do it. So trust me, before I do it, I might call some of y'all and say, hey, could you help a brother out over here? Because it's harder for me to overcome, right? But I'm just being transparent with you this morning. We all struggle sometimes. And thank God, here's what's so good about this high priest, Jesus. He relates to us. He's not out of touch with our reality. As a matter of fact, there was one time in my ministerial career, I escorted some people to the door. And only one time, nine and a half years, that's a pretty good record, I think. But you know what? Somebody, they said some things back to me, and I said, you know what? Just, you, might, you might just want to go ahead and trust me. Jesus did turn over some tables and run some people out of the temple. I've not turned over tables yet. Listen, even the Lord, why do you say that, Pastor? Because even the Lord got angry. There's one thing in this book, though, that some way, somehow, it says, I have never been able to master it. Now, maybe you have. I don't, really, I doubt it. But anyway, and that is where this word says, anger and sin not. If somebody knows how to do that, talk to me after service because it's difficult. But thank God, thank God that we don't serve a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. But he is, sometimes he gets us right down where we're living. How many knows what I'm talking about? 
And thank God that we can go to him, as Paul said, and we can find grace and help and mercy in our time of need. Because he's our high priest, he represents us. Secondly, and I'm going to hurry, he feels us. I'm thankful that we have a high priest, according uh, to Hebrews, that he feels us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, let me read it out of the NIV. Here's the way it reads. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. See, if it was not for this baby born, God in the flesh, we would not be able to relate to God. And how can we, as weak as we are, sometimes understand the power, the awesomeness, and the limitlessness of God? Listen, He knows what it feels like to endure testing. He knows what it feels like to go through betrayal. He knows what it's like to be hated and ridiculed and doubted and interrupted, angry and sad and emotional. He knows what it feels like to go through conflict. But guess what else he also knows? And the holiday season is a time that many endure pain. I'm thankful this morning that he knows what it feels like to go through pain. There's times in our lives that we want to look up to heaven, undesired and unwanted circumstances surround us and we just want to scream, God, I know some of y'all have done this. God, where are you at? God, do you even feel what I'm feeling? And he can sometimes seem so far away and so distant from us, but Jesus, this baby we're talking about this morning, born in the manger, Jesus was heaven screamed back, yes, I know where you are. Yes, I know how you feel. Yes, I'm ready and able and willing to help you. If you'll just call on me. See, the truth is this morning, I love all of you. I love every single one of you. You may not even realize that, and maybe I don't get to tell you personally enough, but I love every one of you, but I can't always understand what you feel. I wish I could. If the Lord could have given pastors anything else that he didn't give, he gives us discernment. And that's good and it helps us. But man, I wish he would let me read your mind. It would be really helpful if we were mind readers. But we're not. I can't always understand what you feel. My empathy is limited. My comprehension is limited. But the good news is that Jesus came. He was tried. He was tested. He was proven. And he can relate to everything you feel. He feels us. And thirdly... He prays for us. Now, I don't know about you, but there's nobody else I'd rather have pray for me than Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, ever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, who then is this one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Could it be true that as Christians, we underestimate the prayer life of Jesus? We're so concerned sometimes, particularly in our movement, about getting certain preachers or prophets 
to pray for us. While we forget that Jesus himself lives for the purpose of praying for us. In fact, that passage of scripture I read, Romans 8 and 34, leads us right into the portion of scripture that we always love to quote. Where Paul said, what then shall separate us from the love of God? Shall life, death, angels, demons, famine, etc., etc. But we fail to connect that that lack of separation that we count on and we're so thankful for is that it's the prayers of the high priest, the great high priest, that are going up to God for us. Listen, let me blow your mind this morning. Let me calm your chaos if I can. Maybe let me deliver you from depression or free you from fear. Are you ready? Jesus is praying for you right now. Isn't that good? No matter what you may be going through, Jesus is praying for you right now. You and I have the Son of God sitting next to God, interceding, petitioning, and presenting your needs to God right now. Listen, I don't know about you, but there's nobody I'd rather have pray for me than Jesus. This wise man approaches Jesus as priest, and we should, we should do that. We should go one step further and approach him as high priest, not just king, but the high priest, because he prays for us. As they come to the music this morning, there's one last thing I want to mention about this gift with meaning that we're talking about today. This is the last thing I want to mention to you today. Remember frankincense, I told you, was an aromatic resin that comes from the balsam tree, and the sap of that tree was dried, and it was burned as incense in the temple. It was a key part of worship. Say worship. Worship. In the Old Testament. And catch this. It was also thought then, as it is thought now, to have medicinal benefits. We got any essential oils people in the house this morning? I see hands everywhere. As a matter of fact... Frankincense essential oils are still used today. And it's believed to treat, this is what I did for my research and study, it's believed to treat a variety of health issues from arthritis to cancer. And then also, listen to this, relieving anxiety, reducing stress, and treating depression. This gift with meaning this morning is so significant during this Christmas season because it reminds us that as we approach him in worship as the great high priest, why is it so important, Pastor, that we worship? Why is there such an emphasis on standing and lifting your hands and lifting your voice and calling out to God? Why is there such an emphasis on that? This reminds us this morning that as we approach Him in worship, when the incense of that worship, that incense of when you lift your hands of surrender and say, God, I worship you. God, I honor you. God, I extol you. When that incense and that aroma of that worship goes up before Him while we worship, God goes to war. When we get lost in the worship, he takes away the pain. 
while we worship, he fights not only the physical, but also the spiritual cancers that attack us. How many knows there's spiritual cancer too? When we get lost in worship, he relieves our anxiety. He reduces our stress. And he treats our depression. I shared this once before and I'm going to share it again. I shared it at 845 also. As a pastor, I've counseled many people battling anxiety many times. But honestly, I didn't have a clue what anxiety was. To be real honest with you and real transparent, a lot of times I would sit down with people across from my desk and I would think, goodness gracious, they just need to get a hold of themselves. I mean, I really would. Why are they getting so worked up over all this? I just didn't. There's a point in this, so stay with me. I just couldn't relate, okay? So then fast forward to when we were getting ready to do this building project. Angie and I have done several things over the years as investment things in property and things of that nature. And we decided that we were going to do uh, an investment project that we were going to uh, bless the church with. That was the goal of the project. Maybe a little bit for ourselves, but we were flip-flopping the tithe, keeping just a little, giving God the most, and going to bless this building project. And so we started it. And then COVID happened. And we couldn't get people to show up. We couldn't get supplies. It was an 8,500 square foot residential project. Uh, with two residences in it and we couldn't get people to show up and we couldn't get supplies and we had well over a quarter of a million dollars in debt in it that we were paying interest on in addition to our own financial things that we have and we were stressed and nobody would show up and nobody, no supplies were coming and we waited months, like seven months on windows and all of those different things and guess what this old boy learned about? Anxiety. I'd wake up in the middle of the night feeling like a thousand pounds were sitting on my chest. If you've ever been there, you can relate. And I'd try to take a breath and it'd be like in the middle of the night and I'd just have to talk to the Lord. And for about nine months, I got up and I would go downstairs and I would take my Bible and I would sit down there and I would read every scripture I could find about anxiety. And I want to tell you, if you've ever been anxious or suffered with anxiety, the very best thing that you can ever do is pray the Word of God. It's the only thing I ever found that works. And I would read every scripture that I could find about anxiety until I could maybe go back and sleep a couple hours before I had to get up and go to work. But every, many times, I won't say every night, but several nights a week, out of the blue, I might go to bed and think I was going to sleep good. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, it was like, and I would wake up with that pressure on my chest. And I told Angie, we, I had stuck around at the bank because I was trying to do 401k stuff before I came here. And the church contributes to my Church of God retirement. And I'm thankful for that, but that's why I was sticking around. And so I told her, I said, listen, before this is over, we're going to have to drain our 401ks and put it into this project so that we can turn around and give it to somebody. That's how bad it looked. That's how bad the enemy made it look. And that anxiety was there. But we prayed through that and we came through that. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. We wasn't a big blessing to the church and definitely wasn't a big blessing to ourselves. 
but God brought us through it. How many know sometimes you got to be thankful God just brings you through it? Why'd you tell us that, Pastor? Because I learned about anxiety. And I hadn't struggled with it anymore. We've been here a year now, but until just very recently. Another situation, not with us personally, but sometimes the things that you carry with pastoring, another situation that has nothing to do with us personally. But I have woke up in the middle of the night a few times with that same... Now, I told you all that to tell you this. Two weeks from today, our worship team, the Christmas choir and the band, they're going to be presenting gratitude, a Christmas worship experience. And I got to thinking about this week and did some of my own research. And Abby's told you many times in a testimony as she sings that song, Gratitude, that medical research has proven, listen to me this morning, medical research has proven that anxiety and gratitude cannot coexist in the brain at the same time. Medical research, I found this for myself this week, and forgive me because I'm not medical if I mispronounce this, but medical research shows and has proven that gratitude stimulates the hypothalamus, which is a part of the brain. Guess what that part of the brain does? It regulates anxiety. Are you with me this morning? Worship will stimulate your brain to remind you that you can with God on your side you cannot fail worship will stimulate your mind and your heart to, to remind you that God will not leave you no matter what you're going through when you begin whoo, I feel the Lord this morning when you begin to worship when you begin to praise, when you begin to exalt God, when you begin to worship, God goes to war on your behalf. Stand with me all over the room. So as our sweet aroma of worship goes up before the Lord, He begins to fight our battles. I want to tell you this morning, if you'll just begin to worship Him, through whatever it is you may be going through. I promise you, if you'll just begin to worship Him, I'm going to do this a little different than I did at 845. I feel like right now, right where you're standing, and if you're not Pentecostal and you're uncomfortable, I apologize, but just don't get scared. Nobody's going to hurt you. Unless they run, get out of their way. Because if you stay there, you might get plowed down. But I think right now, some of y'all got some situations in your life right now that you can think of that if you'll just begin to worship right where you are if you'll just begin to lift your hands if you'll just begin to lift your voice if you'll just begin to cry out to God in worship that aroma that sweet smelling savor is going to go up to him and when he hears that worship when he receives that praise he's going to go to war on your behalf he's going to fight your battles he's going to relieve anxiety he's going to treat depression hallelujah hallelujah I wish I could get about five people in here to lift their voice and give God some praise Church, hallelujah. 
worship you, Jesus. I thank you that while we worship, you go to war. Oh, God. bring the gold and bring you the best that we have.